I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. For the love of Salt Lake Radio News... This is the untold story of what shaped radio news in the Salt Lake Valley over the past three decades. Our host and guide through the years is Maria Chileos on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The one and only 1320 KCPX. Chris, bring it up. This is where it's at. Ruby. The News Authority, KSL, Salt Lake City. I'm Maria Chaleos, a KSL radio anchor and reporter. The Salt Lake Valley has a rich history of radio that includes an abundance of frequencies on the radio dial, a wide variety of formats, and robust news departments. It was a thriving industry that reached its pinnacle from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. It was an era that exemplifies the true spirit of providing information that serves in the best public interest of a local area. Police are still searching for a suspect in what they're terming a lucky hit on the Kmart food store at Parley's Way in Salt Lake City. Broadcasters who worked in those days sharing a somewhat romantic memory of radio's heyday. So I was at KCPX from 72 to 82. Best time I ever had. Midnight at the Oasis. 1320 KCPX. 12.33 at the nighttime. And Shadow Stevens with the Stones. Disc jockey Dan Jessup was on the air at the time as Chad O. Stevens. Teens tuned into KCPX AM to hear hits by the Beatles, Beach Boys, and the Rolling Stones. We had a 40 share. We were number one in adults and in teenagers. We had the great Joe Lee doing the news for us. 47 degrees right now in Salt Lake City. Joe would scream in early in the morning. There was a newscast at 6 a.m. Doug Wright worked as a disc jockey for KCPX early in his career. And if you were filling in for Lynn Lehman, you'd see this little Mustang just pull up Break screech on. You had to hit the door. It was the one of the responsibilities of the guy on the air to open the front door until we were officially opened at nine o'clock. And so you'd hit the buzzer for Joe. The door would fly open. Joe would fly into to Studio B. You'd hear the door to the ticker open. You'd hear him rip the paper and roll it up in a in a roll. Throw it over the top of the console. Sit down as Lynn Lehman would go, and now with the news at the top, here's Joe Lee. And you'd... The news is brought to you by Safeway, where you get everyday low-level prices. 
A low-pressure system is developing in southern Nevada and is expected to move northeast. While the iconic Utah news anchor spent 25 years as the news director at KCPX in the 60s and 70s, Joe Lee is one of the rare broadcasters who can boast a career spanning 46 years in Salt Lake Radio. Joe Lee, at one time, because of the power of KCPX and research that was done by Radar or some other company, was the most trusted news person in Salt Lake City. And that was more so than anybody on TV, anybody else on the radio. And that's because he did like like two newscasts an hour, 12 hours a day on KCPX. So imagine the people, the number of people he reached. And talk about a terrific guy. And, and he, could, um, he could sound more authoritative ripping, ripping and reading the AP wire than most of us can sound if we prepare for hours. He was amazing. It was an era in which broadcasters commonly read news directly from the Associated Press wire because the Federal Communications Commission required every radio station to provide a minimum amount of news and public service. Eight percent of a station's programming needed to be dedicated to news and public affairs content on AM. Six percent was required for FM. Salt Lake radio stations were also highly involved in the community. By Steely Dan at Salt Lake City's KCPX, and it's called Black Friday. We're going up to Fort Douglas right now to talk with Chado Stevens. Hello, Chado. Hello, Doug. Uh, listen, we're located uh, at Stillwell Park, is what it's called. It's just east of the University of Utah Special Events Center. You can probably hear. We did promotions that were just out of this world fun. Just. Uh, it was a lifestyle more than it was a job, and it was more fun than it was work. So. It was, a, it, was, it was a kind of a golden era. Radio played such a dominant role in people's everyday lives, and the market was so saturated with radio stations that the Deseret News dedicated a biweekly column to radio. Lynn Arvey reported on the latest happenings on the radio dial. Salt Lake had more radio stations per capita than anywhere else in the country, and uh, so they just had this buffet of anything you wanted out there. It was a time when listeners could also find a diversity of opinions on local issues that directly impacted them. Thank you, Brad. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is hour number two of the Barberry Show. Love to have you on board. Anything on your mind, we have open lines and open minds. Tom Barberry was the popular morning drive personality on full-service call radio, who over the years became known to his listeners as the voice of reason. I think it just kind of evolved. Because I was basically an outsider, uh, not having any um, allegiance to any uh, major political or uh, social or religious group. Uh, I could sit there and, and watch all of it from my position of independence, as it were, and, and wonder about what was going on with these various groups and how it was affecting the uh, citizenry as a whole. Barberry took pride in providing a diversity of opinion in the marketplace and more specifically, providing an alternative point of view to KSL Radio, which was owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Utah County, where the judges are on dope and the commissioners are drinking. Just kidding, just kidding. He was well known for being an outspoken critic of what he called the state's bizarre liquor laws, specifically when it came to mini bottles and private club memberships. It was also a golden era for radio news and rich local community-oriented content, content that was intended to be in the best public interest. 
Radio journalists who began their careers in the early 1980s found that not only were jobs plentiful, but also that a healthy competition existed between the stations. Six radio news shops existed in the Salt Lake Valley in the 1980s. These were newsrooms that did far more than just rip and read. They had reporters on the streets daily collecting and producing important news stories that served in the best public interest. Chairman's unions have told Salt Lake City commissioners they'll take their cases to the public and into the public arena. Call newsman Dan Breinholt has the story. Everything was local and live. I mean, this is on-air personalities, this is news, this is about everything. And it was a great period of time because if you did a good story, people heard you. And you know... We competed heavily against each other. We meant it, and we enjoyed it. Jim Braden, who was a reporter and news anchor at Call Radio in the early 80s, called them the good old days. In those good old days, many of the top radio and TV stations were clustered together in downtown Salt Lake City within a block and a half of one another between South Temple and Social Hall Avenue. Braden recalled the parade of candidates that would visit Media Row on election night to deliver their message to voters. You'd have sheet of paper on where the candidates hit. They didn't all camp out at the same place. They'd come by and they'd hit you. They'd hit call radio. They'd hit channel two because we were the same. Then they'd hit KSL, two in one building, then channel four. And it was a heady brew election night on Social Hall Avenue. All the politicians, all the leaders of the state of Utah, political leaders. It was amazing. Braden says what made it amazing was the local ownership. George Hatch, First Presidency, the LDS Church, the people who owned KCPX and club, and all, they were all local. They lived in their community, and they get instant feedback on your radio station. So they were they're part of their community, they were interested in their community, and they felt news and community service were important. It wasn't something you tossed off. An interesting dynamic also existed in the radio market due to the precedent set by early broadcast entrepreneurs who ran KSL, KDYL, and Call and their sister TV stations. You know, there's an interesting story of the dynamics of how this market worked very early. It was Earl J. Glade and Sid Fox, and their friendly, we hope, competition just drove this market to outperform itself. You know, our market size never justified the, the quality and what we did. That was continued on with Earl J. Glade and George Hatch. And there was just a great rivalry there, and, and it elevated broadcasting. Doug Wright filled a number of roles, including program director and talk show host, during his 40 years at KSL Radio. The 50,000-watt station was the first radio station in Utah and has always had a dominating role in the market. Our slogan back then was the best of everything. It, tr it truly was the best of everything. We had music, we had talk, we did sports, we did traffic. I mean, you name it, KSL did it. The News Authority. KSL, Salt Lake City. It's 10 o'clock. CBS News. We had the best of all worlds. We had a large staff. Uh, we had a lot of quality people who, who were very professional and knew what they were doing. Reporter Sharla Haley covered the Utah legislature for KSL Radio for nine years. Having been elected to the office of Utah State Representative. Each day during the session, she would follow the proceedings from the chambers in the House of Representatives and talk to representatives, lobbyists, and citizens in the hallways of the Capitol. You know, the newsroom was every stereotypical thing you can think of a newsroom. You know, smoking was still allowed inside the buildings. 
And so there was, there were people smoking in the newsroom, and it was loud, and it was obnoxious, and it was fun. And it was very much a team effort. The, the model back then is we are the team, and it really was. You had to work as a team to make it happen, make the newscasts happen. Tammy Kikuchi reflected on the vital role she and her fellow colleagues at KSL Radio played in delivering important information to the community. Because there wasn't internet, there wasn't, you know, texting, there wasn't Twitter and so forth. Really, if it was breaking news, we had it first on radio because we could. TV would have to break in at a certain time or they had would have to wait to their newscasts. So the only other way that people could get their news or anything that was breaking was through us. Earlier this morning, two chemicals were accidentally mixed in a vat. Salt Lake City Fire Captain Dan Andrus says it created a dangerous gas. Hydrogen peroxide and hydrosulfuric Besides being the first radio station in Utah and the news leader in the market, KSL was also the first station in the country to broadcast a locally produced evening talk show to a national audience. Coming up on For the Love of Salt Lake Radio News, we hear how a man named Herb Jepko made history and paved the way for the radio talk shows we hear today.